Well, we're going to talk about, we're just going to go through Psalm 26. Even though it's a short chapter, there's a lot here and kind of take you to some different places. And so Psalm 26 this morning, I've entitled this message Reminders. And we're pretty familiar with reminders. When I was a kid, you know, I don't know that I ever had the, the string tied on my finger, but I always heard about that. about, And I never really understood that, um, the kind of the string. And I would, you know, I guess that was to trigger your mind about something. When I was a kid, it was pretty humiliating. Um, in kindergarten... And so that you would remember to take something home, they would actually staple papers to your shirt. <laughs> they were, so they were not respecters of personal property. But I remember in kindergarten, they would put that little sheet of paper and then just staple it to your shirt so that you made sure you went, got home with it. Uh, and so now we're much more sophisticated, technologically advanced. And so we have reminders on our phones. And even for regular appointments, maybe even for weekly things, we need these reminders because we forget. And I was kind of reminded about my own forgetfulness yesterday. You know, Brandy came home from a, an out-of-town trip, and then she asked, hey, have you checked the air filter lately? And so the air filter, you know, I usually try to change it every two months, but you know what? The life's gotten busy, and so I looked, and I saw when's the last time I had changed it, and it had been two months three different times. It had been six months since I had changed the air filter, and living in West Texas, that was unwise, and so it had accumulated a lot of dirt and dust over that time. And so, you know, for all of us, we need reminders, but this is true when it comes to biblical truths as well. We need these reminders. It's important for us to come to church regularly to, to remind ourselves of biblical truth. It's important for us on our own to study the Word of God, to remind ourselves. But here's the problem about reminders. We are so used to ignoring reminders. It's very easy. Reminder comes up off on your phone. Oh, yeah. Swipe it away and then just forget about it. Reminders are only good. They only fulfill their purpose if we actually do something about it. And so as we come to the word of God today, a lot of things that I share are probably going to be simply reminders for you. And it's going to be easy, spiritually speaking, to swipe them away. It's going to be easy, like, heard that before, heard that before, heard that before. As most things I say, you're going to hear it before. But if you want to make this time valuable, if you want to use this as part of your growth as a believer, that I would encourage you to take these reminders to heart. And there probably can be some specific things throughout this message that's really for you. Maybe some things you're like, I'm already doing that, or okay, that doesn't apply to me right now. And there's going to be other things of like, okay, that's what the Lord's talking to me about. So I'd encourage you to really take that to heart. All right, so let's jump in. Psalm 26, a Psalm of David. I'm gonna read through this and then we'll make our way through this chapter. David writes, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord, I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes. And I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands is a sinister scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. As for me, I will walk in my integrity, redeem me, and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place. In the congregations, I will bless the Lord. 
All right, so verse one, let's start with this. He says, vindicate me, O Lord. Okay, this vindicate, we think about someone is, is vindicated. It's this idea of they're, you know, proven to be in the right. And so that's kind of the flavor of what he's saying here, but it's really the heart of judge me, make your decision about me. That's what he's saying. So David's in some type of situation, some type of difficulty. He has enemies against him. This is a common thing for David. It's a common thing for us. And so in the midst of whatever David is going through, he's asking the Lord. And remember, the Lord is Yahweh. It's a covenant name of God, that personal name of God. He's saying, Yahweh, you be my judge. He's asking the Lord to be his judge. And this is really important because we live in a world, and maybe it's always been like this, or maybe it's gotten worse, I don't know, where we look to other people to vindicate us in, in so many different ways. I, I'm going you know, to post something online, and I'm vindicated if people you know, like it. And it's interesting You know, other people put on, you know, say videos on YouTube and there's something called being ratioed. That's when you have more down votes than up votes. And so people will show their displeasure towards something by ratioing them, by having more down votes than up votes. And so we look for this vindication and this is pretty subtle. We can look for vindication from our parents or from our kids, from our spouse, from all these different people. And what happens is it ends up causing us to be victims, Because now I have to look to all these other people. What do you think about me? What do you say about me? And that causes problems. Because as I read the scriptures, I read that each and every person on planet earth is to live for an audience of only one person, and that's God. God is to be the only one to vindicate us. No matter how much the people in our life love us, they are not the ones to vindicate us. God and God alone is the one to vindicate us. God and God alone is our one and only judge. And this is really important for us because this world is in the state that it's in because fallen people look to other fallen people to vindicate them. And so they think they're okay. I don't know if you've been keeping up with some kind of things going trend wise, but there's a biological male who has been allowed to compete as a female in the NCAA swimming. And so what happened is this biological male destroyed the competition. And so now some, some finally some people are waking up and just saying, well, this isn't fair. This isn't right. This isn't okay. But we live in a culture, in a, in a nation that for the most part has vindicated that sort of thing. And so now people are realizing, oh, this maybe is not right. So when we look to fallen men to vindicate us, it's a problem. So we're going to find great freedom in our lives if we say, you know what? The only person who can vindicate me is God. The only person who I'm going to look to as my judge is God. And so for more on this, to remind ourselves of this truth that God is our one and only judge, let's turn first of all to John chapter 5. So we're going to turn to a few different places. I'm going to remind you of this truth. And this is really important. Judge, because we, we have a tendency to, um, to want other people to vindicate us instead of God. Now, as you turn to John chapter 5, I want to have a little caveat real quick. Because a lot of people will say this, well, God's my judge, right? Only God can judge me. And what they mean by that is I'll do whatever I want. You don't tell me. But here's what this, they don't really believe that God's their judge. They're just saying that so you'll get off their back. But you can say to that person who says, okay, God is your judge. Absolutely. And he will judge you. Just please be aware of that. 
So John chapter 5, starting in verse 22, this is what Jesus had to say about his role in judgment. He says, verse 22, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can have I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So kind of this, this really clarifies things for us. When we think about judgment, then who's judging? Jesus Christ. All judgment has been given to Jesus Christ. That simplifies your life and my life completely because now everything I do, I can say, well, does this please Jesus or not? Is this something that Jesus would find good or not? Now it's not about what does my spouse think? What does my children think? What does my boss think? No, it's what does Jesus think? And if I obey Jesus and that gets me fired, so be it. And if I obey Jesus and that gets me imprisoned, so be it. And if that I obey Jesus and that causes relationships to be broken, so be it. Now we don't have to juggle all these plates of pleasing all these people. We just have one person to please, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, coming off of this, let's go to Romans now. Romans chapter 14. And Paul kind of has a, talks about the outworking of this a little bit as we look at kind of a little different angle on judgment. Romans chapter 14, Paul's going to talk about some controversy that was happening in the church because people had different, um, different things that, that would affect their conscience. So in other words, um, some people felt like they could eat certain things and other people felt that they couldn't. Some people felt like they should worship on certain days. Other people said, no, all days are the same. And so there's this judgment attitude coming in. And so he wants to clarify Romans 14, when to look at starting in verse one, says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats for God has received him. In other words, all right, some people think I can only eat vegetables, right? Other people say God's cool with me eating meat, right? And that's kind of a thing even right now as we think about Lent and kind of people's different attitudes and their kind of the conscience. And so he's saying, Hey, let the person who wants to only eat vegetables, eat vegetables. Let the person who wants to eat meat, eat only meat. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Because notice verse four, for who are you to judge another servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. It's awesome. We don't have to judge each other as believers. Why? Because we don't own each other. We're not each other's masters. Jesus is the master, and so I don't have to criticize you because you're saying, oh, I only eat vegetables, or I'm only this, so you don't have to criticize me about these things. Why? Because God's our master. And I love the fact that it says God's able to make us stand. That's beautiful. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. 
Continuing on, he says, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, and for he gives uh, God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat because he does not give God thanks. I'm sorry, and gives God thanks. Verse seven, for no, none of us lives to himself and none dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? And why do you show contempt for your brother? Here it is. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Each and every believer is going to get to stand before Christ at the judgment seat, the Bema seat of Christ. And we'll get to answer for the things that we've done in the body, whether good or bad. Things that we've done as believers. This is not for salvation. This is for reward. This is for giving account of every word that we speak. It's for all of those things. And then he says, for, but um, verse 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every uh, tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Notice of himself. You're not going to give an account for somebody else. <laughs> you get to give an account for yourself. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this but to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. So let's not do those things. And so it's wonderful. So you and I can take off our, you know, the, the white wig and the robe of judgment and the gavel, and we can go ahead and, and put that out for a garage sale. We don't need those things anymore. Jesus will judge. Now, one last place of judgment, and this is Revelation chapter 20. This is what's commonly called the final judgment the great white throne judgment. And so for you and I, we're, we're not passing judgment upon unbelievers in the sense of like, we're telling them what's going to happen. We're just telling them, when you share truth with an unbeliever, you're just telling them what the word of God says. You're not being their judge. The word of God is judging them, not us. So Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, this is the judgment for unbelievers. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is a second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So we see here that judgment belongs to God. So when I, as I mentioned earlier, believe it's absolutely wrong for a biological male to race against females in a swimming race, I, I am not judging just because of what I say. I'm saying what the word of God says. Word of God says men and women are different. The word of God says that we should treat people fairly and equitably. That's what the word of God says. And so now all of a sudden, as I look to God to be the judge instead of me being the judge, and then that frees me. Now I'm no longer a victim anymore. All right, let's turn back to Psalm 26 and we'll continue on. As you're turning back there, this is one of those things. It's, it's really easier said than done. It's easier to sit here and say, okay, God's alone the judge and... But then it's easy to fall back into the trap of, well, I got to do things to make people like me. 
I got to make sure that they, no, no, we need to stay on to this. Vindicate me, O Lord. We need to, to trust in the Lord to be our judge. And then David continues. He says, for I've walked in my integrity. So in other words, as related to this issue, whatever David is encountering, David had walked in uprightness. Now, this is a reminder for us that you and I will not be sinless, but we can walk in integrity. Okay. We're not going to be sinless, but we're going to, we can walk in integrity. In other words, we can walk a life of consistent obedience. Job was not sinless, but he was referred to as blameless. In other words, when Job sinned, when Job did something wrong, what did he do? He confessed it. He repented. And so that's the life for you and I. To, to, because there's a tendency among Christians sometimes to say, well, I'm not going to be sinless, so I might as well just do whatever. It's better to ask forgiveness than permission. And that's a bad attitude to have. It's we want to be people who walk in integrity, who walk a life of consistent obedience. And then David continues, he says, I have also trusted in the Lord. So David walked a walk of faith. I'm trusting in the Lord. And this walk of faith is very challenging, especially when you're in a situation, a thing in life where you really have no idea what's next. You really don't. We often think we do but we really don't. We don't know what's coming next. And, and so I love what we read in the Proverbs about this idea of trusting in the Lord. Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Now I've emphasized some words there because Proverbs three, verses five and six, easy to memorize easy to go back to, very, very hard to live out. It's very, very hard to trust in the Lord with all your hearts. It's very, very challenging to lean not on your own understanding and to in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And what will happen is if you seek to walk with the Lord further and further on this path, he's gonna reveal to you how much of your heart is not surrendered to him, how much you do lean on your own understanding, how many ways you don't acknowledge him and he's gonna seek to direct your paths and it's gonna be a challenge. It's gonna be a challenge. And so please understand that the life of the believer is going to be challenging. It's a, it's a difficult way. It's a narrow path, but it's worth it. Notice as David continues on, he says, I tr also trust in the Lord. He says, I shall not slip. And so really it could be translated without slipping up. In other words, in times past, that when he walked in obedience in times past, it kept him from slipping. But also we know that there's a, a forward or aspect to this that ultimately the believer is not going to slip in that ultimate sense. In fact, I love these words from Jude 24. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So good. See, if it's up to you and me to keep ourselves from slipping, if it's up to you and me to present ourselves faultless, we might as well quit. We might as well go home and catch the early game on March Madness. <laughs> that, that might as well be how we go. But if God, who is our judge, is also the one who presents us faultless, then all of a sudden, okay. If it's up to me to make myself stand, not going to get it done. But if I'm God's servant and he's the one who's able to make me stand, all of a sudden there's hope. All of a sudden there's encouragement there. So please understand these things that I'm sharing with you. It's not simply, hey, you do better. 
It's the Lord is going to do these things, but there's a cooperative aspect from us. We know this in every relationship. It's always got to be two sided. Every relationship, it can't only be one sided. It's us cooperating with what God's doing. Verse two says, examine me, O Lord, and prove me and try my mind and my heart. Okay, so what we have here in verse two are three different words um, used for testing. We have the word examine, we have the word prove, and we have the word try. And you can go on your own and you know, go to you know, Blue Letter Bible or something like that and look up all these words and kind of see all the different things. But basically it's variations of testing. You know, like the testing of metals and the refining of metals or the, the testing of other things. So, so David is using repetition because what he's really asking the Lord to do, he's asking the Lord to test his mind and heart. So think about that. You know, if, if people are doing something shady online, they want to they they remove the search history. They want to remove the things or, and, and we're, we're all about, you know, and I understand privacy and we don't want, you know, big tech kind of knowing what we're looking at and knowing where we're going so they can kind of sell our information to the people. I understand all that, but when it comes to the Lord, do we really want him to examine, prove and try our heart and mind? This is a radical thing because we can say it, we can sing about it, but it's a whole different thing when we ask God to say, really, please, would you examine me? Would you test me? Would you try me? Would you prove me? Would you reveal myself to me? That's a radical thing. And, and you know, it, it's, it's, it's going to rock the boat. It's going to stir things up. Because I guarantee you, you know, if you kind of think about your mind and heart, my mind, my mind and heart Let's say I ask God to run an, an antivirus program on my mind and hearts. I'm pretty sure it's not going to say 100% clean. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's going to say, we, uh, there's some malware. There's some problems. And he's going to want to, but here's the thing, when he points that out, then he's going to want to do something about it. And now life gets complicated. Now life gets difficult. I can't just go through the motions like I always have because he wants to do something. So we're going to talk about heart and mind for just a minute. We don't have time to kind of develop it too much, but heart and mind really speak of our desires, our will, our emotions, all these things. And, and so what's interesting is so there's some individuals, and I agree with them, who think that desires precede will. In other words, we have certain desires and then we act those out with our will. So here's the problem. We can't will ourselves into new desires. We have to ask God to change those desires. We have to ask God to say, give me a new desire so I will something different. And so it's interesting, you kind of think about it spiritually speaking, God is a doctor of internal medicine. If we think about God as a doctor, he's not a plastic surgeon, right? He's not about the out. God is a doctor of internal medicine. His primary concern is for our heart and mind. We know that because Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, your mind and your strength, with everything you are. That I, I want the inside changed. And, and so, again, the question for you and I to ask, right, really in, in the privacy of our hearts is to ask, do we truly want God to test our heart and mind? Because if you do, he will do it. I 100% guarantee if you say, Lord, would you show me 
moment by moment, what's in my heart and mind. He's going he's gonna to, but here's the problem. If you say no, then you can't grow. I'm a poet. I didn't even know it. All right. So if you say no to God, if you say, God, I do not want to test you to test my heart and mind. I don't want to hear about it. I want to kind of stay where I am. I'm fine with it. You're not going to grow because spiritual growth is not automatic. No person, okay, that has a will can grow automatically. You have to participate in there. You have to participate in that growth. You have to ask God to grow you. And so here it is. If you say yes to God testing your heart and mind, then you've chosen what's best. You submit to the test. You've chosen what's best. But here's the deal. I I don't say this to scare you, but just to tell you the truth, it's going to be painful. If you're going to go in for surgery and your doctor says, I know this is a major surgery. It's not going to hurt at all. He's lying to you. It is going to hurt. And so there's a book and it's a book. I don't, I don't agree with everything in it. Like pretty much every book that I read, except the Bible, I don't agree with everything in it, but it's a book called renovation of the heart by Dallas Willard. And it's been very helpful to me. It's been very helpful to others. And he really takes a deep dive into this whole thing about how can we have a a surrendered heart? And in fact, on the front cover, it says renovation of the heart. And then there's a white flag on there that the surrendering, But you know what I found in my own life and kind of what God's doing with me because I'm such a sinner that it doesn't really feel like renovation of the heart right now. It feels like demolition of the heart. That God is revealing some things to me about how wrong that I am, that it's kind of like those shows where they're going to just demo the whole house and it's just a mess inside. And you know what? I'm not a person with great vision. So I watch those shows and I say, I don't know how they're going to do anything with this. (laughs) I don't know how they can fix this, but by the end, it's awesome. So that's what God wants to do with us. As he renovates or if he demolishes our hearts, he knows that he's going to build it back way better. It's going to be something greater. And he's given us hints of this. I was talking with a friend of mine about this, this kind of how I was feeling. And he reminded me of a passage and I want to share it with you. So would you turn to Hebrews chapter 12 for just a moment? Because if you submit to this, if you just submit to this examining, this proving, this trying, it's going to be painful. It's going to be challenging. God's going to have to take some stuff down to the studs. But he does it for a good reason. God, God does not simply destroy to destroy, but he demos so that he might build. Hebrews chapter 12, let's look at verses 7 through 11. The writer to the Hebrew says, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father and spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. And then here it is, the crescendo, verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so it's going to be painful. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be in the moment. I hate this. But what God's building, what he's going to do, this peaceable fruit of righteousness is going to be worth it. He's going to be pleased by that. 
He's going to be able to look at you one day and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. All right, let's turn back to Psalm 26. We'll get into verse three now. David says, for your loving kindness is before my eyes and I have walked in your truth. So your loving kindness is before my eyes. And and so this idea is this, your loving kindness is my focus. Your loving kindness is my goal. Your loving kindness is what I wanna go toward. And we look at this and there may be situations in our life that we really doubt God's loving kindness. We doubt that he really wants something for us. And and so I I wanna turn you now, uh, a lot of places to turn this morning, to Deuteronomy chapter one. So the fifth book of your Bible, and it's interesting, um, Deuteronomy is, is where we are in my Bible, my seventh grade Bible study class at school. And I, I teach the same material three times because I have three different sections. And, and so I'm a slow learner. You know, I've done this a, a bunch of times and I've for quite a few years now. And it took me this time through the third class period before I really saw something in Deuteronomy chapter one that I want to share with you. I want to look first of all, or actually I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter one, verses 26 through 31. But I want you to see kind of two different attitudes toward the Lord here. An attitude of doubting God's loving kindness or of trusting in God's loving kindness. And so no, he's, what, what Moses is doing is he's recapping what happened with the children of Israel, okay? And how they refused to go into the promised land. So it says here in verse 26, nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And so in other words, they wouldn't go into the promised land because they were afraid. And this is what they said. And you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. And where can we go? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. So stop there for just one second. So here was the attitude of the people. We can't go into the promised land. People are too big. And God brought us up because he hates us. And he wants to kill us by the hand of the Amorites. Now, on one hand, they'd seen so many things in Egypt, so many plagues, so many things. God didn't hate them. But let's just just take the argument for just a minute. If God hates you and wants to destroy you, can you do anything to stop that? (laughs) No, you can't do anything. So why worry about it? If God really hated you and wanted to destroy you, and sometimes we feel like that, sometimes a tragedy hits us, things don't go the way we want them to, and so I say, God hates me. God must hate me. I want to destroy me. You know, that's nothing to worry about because if God really hated you and wanted to destroy you, then what would happen is you'd, you'd have no say. <laughs> no one could stay his hand. No one could stop him from doing that thing but we know that that's not his attitude. We know that's not his heart. In fact, let's continue on in verse 29. He says, then I said to to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord, your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where here it is, where you saw how the Lord, your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. I hope that you'll go back, think about this today, and contrast verse 27 with verse 31. 
Moses says, far from hating you, God carried you as a man carries his son. We've all seen this, or maybe we've done this. There'll be a family out somewhere. It's late in the day. Little boy falls asleep. Dad carries his son. That dad doesn't carry him because he hates him, carries him because he loves him. And so we may allow the enemy to pollute our minds because of situations in our life and say, well, God hates me. God doesn't hate you. God carries you as a man carries his son. That's the kind of love he has for you. In fact, he loves you so much. We're told in Romans that he demonstrates that love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He carried us and had his, his son carry a cross. And so it's important for us to understand this, to come to this truth, because his world is saturated with lies. Satan is a very active enemy. He has his demonic forces employed. The whole sway of this world is under him. And so we need to be told the truth so that we can live a life of obedience to him, a life of fellowship with him, a life of relationship with him. Let's turn back now to Psalm 26, if you would. Continuing on in verse three, he says, and I have walked in your truth. This word walked is in the imperfect tense. And what that means is it means it's a constant characteristic action. In other words, it was a habitual course of David's life to walk in the truth that his inner and outer life was seeking to be aligned with God's will. That that's, that's kind of the, the manner of his life. That's to be the manner of our life. Verse four, he said, I have not sat with idolatrous mortals nor will I go in with hypocrites. And so it's this attitude of, hey, I'm not going to be hanging out with them. I'm not going to be around them. I'm not going to do those things. And I love that phrase, idolatrous mortals, because it's sometimes we think, well, I'm mortal. I'll die. But unbelievers, they'll live forever. You know, they're, they're invincible. No, they're idolatrous mortals. They will die. All the wicked will be put away. And so what I see here in Psalm, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Psalm 26, verse 4, it reminds me of Psalm 1-1, right? Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So we're to avoid wicked people. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says that evil company corrupts good habits. And, and so please remember this that these idolatrous mortals will not be around forever. Hitler's not still around. Stalin's not still around. All those people go away. And remind yourself, please, that Revelation 21 and 22 are in your future. That the new heaven and new earth are coming. That it's on the way. That that's going to be your end. Verse 5 says, I have hated the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. So David refuses to be a part of the assembly of those who are opposed to God. He refuses to participate with them. And it's a reminder, again, to not align yourself with those who are hostile to God. You can read more about that. I don't think we have really time to get to it right now. But Psalm chapter 2, I'd encourage you to go back to Psalm chapter 2. And if you ever wanted to see kind of Psalm chapter two taking place in real time, <laughs> it's happening right now on planet Earth. You know, the, the nations aligning themselves together against God and his anointed. Spoiler alert, God wins. He's going to defeat them. So remind yourself of that. Now, James 4.4, 4, James gives us as believers a strong exhortation. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So even for us as believers, you know, we think, well, to become, you know, to really kind of reach out to unbelievers, I have to become like them. 
You know, I, I won't really know what it's like to be drunk and, you know, like them, is, unless I participate in that. I do these things. No, 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 no. We don't have to. As a, a wise saying I heard years ago, you don't have to get into the sewer to know it stinks. Right? We all know the sewer stinks. We don't have to get down into it. And so we don't need to be friends with the world. The greater a friend of God you become, the more useful you'll be to the unbeliever. Jesus Christ was the most useful person to unbelievers in human history, no sin. So you and I, the closer we are to Jesus, the more useful we'll be, the more helpful we'll be to a fallen world. Continuing on in Psalm 26 to verse 6, he says, I will wash my hands in innocence. Okay, so it's this idea, David is taking kind of this picture of the Levitical priesthood and how they would wash their hands. They would have to do these ceremonial washings before they sacrifice. So that's what David is saying here. David is saying, I need to be washed. I need to be cleansed before I come and worship the Lord. And, and I think for, for our purposes, 1 John 1, 9 is a real helpful verse to remember. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's a good reminder for us is when to come before the Lord is to ask, Lord, would you, would you cleanse me? Would you, would you wash me? Would you forgive me of my sins and I might come and have that unbroken fellowship with you? And so then once he was cleansed, notice what he says. He says, so I will go about your altar, O Lord. So once he was cleansed, now he's hanging out with God and godly people. So notice David is making, saying, David's saying in verses four and five, I'm not going to hang out with unrepentant sinners. I'm not going to hang out with those that would bring me down. I'm going to ask for God's forgiveness and cleansing. And then I'm going to go hang out with the Lord. I'm going to go spend time with him. I'm going to go be with him. Now, continuing on now to verse seven, he says that I may proclaim the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. Now, once we're cleansed, right, we ask God for that, that forgiveness, we come into God's presence, and now we can give God thanks to the Lord and recount his wondrous works. Oftentimes for us, maybe we don't know what there is to be thankful about, okay? Especially, you know, um, if we're in a place of, of just kind of like really, you know, broken down or we're upset, kind of things aren't going how we are. And so like, well, how do I become thankful? What do I thank the Lord for? One helpful way would be to like put on some worship music. Put on some worship music and it'll remind you of things to be thankful for. See, that's what he's saying here. He's saying, I'm thankful for your wondrous works. In other words, David is looking backwards to find things to be thankful about. So if you're in a situation today where you say, I don't find anything to be thankful about today, look back. And I'm gonna give you three ways to, to kind of remind yourself of wondrous works. Number one is know your Bible, okay? There's no excuse for Christians living in the age we do not to know your Bible. There's just too many ways. There's too many ways to know it. So know your Bible. So what happens, you can begin by knowing God's wondrous works. You can thank him for creating the universe. You can thank him for judging sinful mankind. You can, you can thank him for parting the Red Sea. You can thank him for what he's done. All So, so know the Bible, lots of wondrous works there. The second thing is know Christian history. Know what God has done in the lives of other believers through the ages and thank God for that, his faithfulness to different people. And then also know your own history. Remind yourself of your own history. Remind yourself of what God has done in your own life and how he's been faithful to you all along the way. And this is so important, you know, because I want to kind of camp on this for just a second. 
you know, if I were to ask you secretly, if I put a box in the back and say, hey, what do you think are the worst things about me? <laughs> you'd probably be like, I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> you know, you would have a, you're like, do you guys have extra paper? Uh, you would have a lot of things to write down, okay? Thankfully, I'm not going to ask you that, okay? But as I look at myself, I know one of the worst things about me is I complain so much that I'm a complainer. And so how did I become a complainer? Well, it's, it's a habit. I've trained myself over time to complain. You see, we form our own souls through something called habituation, through habits. The most influential person in your life outside of God is you. You know why? Because you're the person with yourself all the time. <laughs> no one influences you as much other than the Lord as you do. And so for, for us, if we say, if I say, you know what? I don't want to be a person who complains all the time anymore. This is not helpful for me. This is not helpful to others. It's not respectful to the Lord. I actually have to train myself into new habits. It has to be a new habituation. And so if we want to be thankful people, if we want to be able to actually live out Psalm 26, verse seven, we have to practice and make a habit of thankfulness. And here's what will happen. As we continue to be thankful, then we'll train our souls to be thankful. We'll train ourselves to be different than we are. So there's hope in all of this. None of this that I'm sharing with you is I want you to go out today and be bummed about who you are. No, all of this is a mirror to show us who we really are and then to say, Lord, there's some things I don't like here. Would you help me change them? Because it's all changeable. Verse eight says, Lord, I have loved your habitation, the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. David loved hanging out at the tabernacle. David loved being around where the Lord was. That was his heart. He wanted to make his self a person who was around the Lord. And, and I love this. And we see this through the scriptures. There's the, the, the funny story, or a funny, funny application maybe uh, about Enoch. You remember Enoch from the book of Genesis? You know, he was this guy, it says that, you know, he walked with the Lord X amount of years and then he was not for the Lord took him. A little boy was asked to explain that in Sunday school class. And he said, well, I think what it was is every day, God, God and Enoch walked together and then Enoch would go home. And he says, one day that God said to Enoch, hey, you're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just go home with me? <laughs> and I love that illustration of it, that, that we can be those people who just want to hang out with God. And a great example of this was Joshua. And I'll read this for you. Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. This is what it says about Joshua. It says, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend and Moses would return to the camp. Okay, so Moses had responsibilities. He had to go back to the camp, but then we're told this, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man did not depart from the tabernacle. So Moses and Joshua would go to the tabernacle. Moses would talk with the Lord. Then Moses would go back to camp. And Joshua was like, I'm just going to hang here. I'm just going to hang out where the Lord is. And so we can be people who train ourselves to want to just be where the Lord is. All right, verses 9 and 10. David says, Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands is a sinister scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. Okay, so again, there's a lot of bad stuff here, right? Bloodthirsty men, people who are violent, people who are schemers, people who, you know, they take bribes, they misapply justice, all of those things. And David is basically saying, I don't want any part of them. 
I don't want any part of them. And so the simple application for you and I is do not become entangled with the ungodly. Just don't do it. Don't cut those corners. Don't, don't make those decisions. You know, don't, don't say, well, it ha- that's kind of how business is done. That's how it has to be. No, just don't do it. Verse 11 says, my foot stands in an even place in the congregations. I will bless the Lord. And, and so in contrast to the ungodly, then David would walk rightly. And, and so we look at this and we say, well, that sounds great. But how can I apply this to my life? There's, Paul makes an incredible promise in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, verse 16, this is what he says. He says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So how can you and I overcome our sinfulness? Walk in the Spirit. Make it a habit of walking in the Spirit. And what's going to happen is God's going to change your habits. God's going to change your desires. God's going to change your motivations. God's going to change your focus. God can do all those things for us. Now, whoops, I forgot verse 11. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity, redeem me and be merciful to me. Okay. So that's the walking in the spirit right there. Now, verse 12, he says again, my foot stands in an even place in the congregation. I will bless the Lord. And so this is really talking about a firm foundation. Okay. We often think, well, if I serve the Lord, that's, it's, it's unstable. It's not how kind of things are done. But it's just the opposite, that whenever we're actually trusting in the Lord, it's a firm foundation. Now, here's the, the truth of Scripture, and, and it may be you know, hard for, for certain individuals out in the world to hear, but Jesus is that foundation, and you really only have two choices when it comes to the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can either build on him or be crushed by him. That's it. That, that those are the only two choices. And, and that may sound kind of hard in our quote-unquote tolerant age, which is misapplied. We don't have time to get into that. Uh, but this, this is the truth. You can either build on Jesus Christ or be crushed by Jesus Christ. He's the rock not made with hands that's going to destroy every kingdom that comes against him. He is the, 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 the coming king, the conquering king, who is going to destroy the armies of the Antichrist with the, the sword that comes from his mouth. This is reality. This is the truth. But here's the good news. Any person on planet Earth who says, I don't want to be crushed by him, I want to build on him. Jesus says, come. Whosoever will may come. The, 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 if you want to come to me, you can. That's the great news. But it's not great news if a person says, well, I just don't want to come to him. Okay, that's your choice. But please understand, that choice will lead to crushing and eternal damnation. That's the truth of the scriptures. And that's not unloving to say. The most loving thing to tell people is the truth. So the truth is build on him or be crushed by him. And then David says at the end of verse 12, in the congregation, I will bless the Lord. Blessing the Lord, that means like praising the Lord. It's a choice. Please understand that. He's saying, I will bless the Lord. You and I, many days in this world, we're not going to feel like blessing the Lord. We're not going to feel like walking in the spirit. We're not going to feel like those things. But choosing to, as we ask God, Lord, change my desires, change my heart, change what I want. Help me to want what you want. There's a beautiful verse in the Psalms, and I can't remember exactly where it is. I think it's in the 30s. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your hearts. You see, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, we say, Lord, I want it to be about you. He'll change our desires. 
He'll change our hearts so we'll want what he wants. All right, we'll stop here for today. I'll leave you with three reminders. Number one is, are you living for an audience of one? It's incredibly tempting to live for everyone else. It's incredibly tempting to to want to please other people, be vindicated by them, judged by them, make them happy. Just let it all go. Live for an audience of one. Live for God and his vindication alone. Number two is, are you asking God to test your heart and mind? Are you really saying, Lord, whatever is there, would you show it to me? And then would you bring the spiritual sledgehammer? (laughs) Would you demo what's inside so I can be what you want me to be? And then thirdly and finally, are you making a habit of thankfulness? There's a lot to worry about and fear in this world. There's a lot to wring our hands about. There's a lot to complain about in our flesh, but we can make a habit of thankfulness as we walk in the Spirit.